Welcome to episode 183 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. I want to tell you again about a very important conference coming up. It's called Got Your Back Canada, and Got Your Back Canada invites all acting teachers to attend their Acting Educators Conference on May 27th and 28th, 2019. Whether you work as part of an institution, as a private coach, or someone who's just interested in pursuing acting education, this conference is your opportunity to meet other passionate and dedicated teachers and learn some new techniques and practices to bring to the classroom. The conference will explore exciting new ideas and tools around anti-oppression, harassment, and mental health. For more information, visit gybactingeducators.com or search Got Your Back Canada. I want to take another opportunity to tell you about Today Takes. Today Takes is an app and website that offers easy and affordable access to a wide variety of must-see cultural performances from plays and musicals to dance, opera, comedy, immersive experiences, and beyond. Let's take a look at the Today Takes app and see what they have this week. Oh, uh, right now, there's an awesome deal for the Stratford Festivals, the Merry Wives of Windsor, for the May 31st, 8 p.m. performance. They have tickets for just $17, and these are not back-of-the-theater cheap seats. These are right down in front in the middle of the theater, great seats. You're not going to see these kinds of deals very often, so get on that and check out that show. There are also $20 rush tickets to I Swallowed a Moon Made of Iron at Canadian Stage, as well as tickets to Soul Pepper's The Brothers Size and Factory Theatre's Beautiful Man. Today Ticks makes buying tickets simple, and you can purchase tickets in less than 30 seconds. Get it on iOS and Android, or go to todaytakes.com. According to the Canadian Podcast Listener Survey, the most common way that people find out about new podcasts is from their friends and family. So, if you know someone that you think might enjoy Stageworthy, tell them about it. And if you tell somebody, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Kieran Friesen. Kieran appears in Cement Factory and Night Shift Theatre's production of George F. Walker's Risk Everything, running from May 14th to 25th at the Red Sandcastle Theatre in Toronto. Before we get into, um, before we get into risk everything, mm-hmm. um, I want to talk a little bit about your your journey from uh, Alberta to oh. Toronto, okay, and uh, and and creating your own show oh. and things like that. I want to talk about all of that okay. stuff. Okay, <laughs> so sure. You grew up in. Was it Fort McMurray or was it? Um, yeah, yeah, I I grew up, I say I grew up in Alberta because. Mm-hmm. Um, I was well, I was born in Australia, okay. in Perth, and then when I was about three and a half, my parents, a series of events occurred, including um, my uncle had a, a devastating accident, mm-hmm. and my parents didn't hear about it for three months. And so, okay. yeah, I think they felt just incredibly isolated and realized that, um, you know, 
being far away from family might might affect me and yeah. obviously it would have affected them a lot and yeah. so um <clears throat> my dad who was an engineer got a job at Syncrude mm-hmm. and uh part of the promise was that they would never have to live in Fort McMurray <laughs> And how did that work out? Um, it worked out for about six years. Uh-huh. Um, and then? So, <laughs> so, so we were in Fort McMurray for the first, like, six months, six weeks mm-hmm. or since something like that. A little yeah. bit. Um, I just remember we had a graveyard in our backyard. Oh, that's always fun. Yeah. Um, and then we were in Edmonton for six years. And mm-hmm. then my dad got transferred. A lot of the executives got transferred up to Fort McMurray. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So we... I got pulled up there, mm. and um, so I was there from uh, 86 to 94. Then I went back to Edmonton mm-hmm. for a school and a little bit of work before coming to Toronto. Um, what was your first exposure to theater? Oh, um, that's hard to say. I mean, the first thing I remember being super impacted by in the theater was Romeo and Juliet. That's such a like Which was it would it was it where did you see it? Um I think the production I'm remembering was in Fort McMurray. Okay. And I know I'd seen theater mm-hmm. before that. I was I was telling you yesterday about the Buffon show. Yes, yeah. We should we should talk about that. I'm going to so your mom thought that it was uh, that about hair, about about tall. Yes, like, that everybody Buffon would clown was a it was a was a clown with hair. Yep. yep. And uh, how old were you when <laughs> you went to the show? So I'm trying to remember, and it was in the nine range. Oh my god! I think um, my parents were always very progressive sexually with <clears throat> mm-hmm. me. Um, they were naked until I think I was like four mm-hmm. or something, and apparently I walked up to mom and pointed between her legs and went mommy and i walked up to dad and pointed between his legs and went daddy uh-huh. and my parents were like okay yeah mm-hmm. yep <laughs> maybe it's time and i was answering the door naked okay and, yeah. you know yeah and i was tall right so i'm mm-hmm. like a tall four-year-old yeah um <laughs> but you end up in in this at the, at the edmonton fringe going to this yes so it was called journey into ecstasy Yep. And it was audience participation. <laughs> and um, I remember at one point, one of the actors laid across us, uh, like just kind of like laid themselves across us. I can't remember why, but I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. I think I somebody I, I know described himself as having been a sexy child. Mm-hmm. And I think I was a sexy child. Okay, I was always sort of hooked into that mm-hmm. part okay. of... So I was I wasn't ever really shocked mm-hmm. by anything. Okay. It was more like titillating for me. Sure. And it was like, oh, this is fun, you know, like <clears throat> there was a woman in a red teddy straddling mm-hmm. a light doing a, a monologue. There was another completely naked woman um in a bubble bath doing a monologue. Mm-hmm. Um what else can I remember from that show? I just remember like being really excited. Do you remember how your mom reacted to it? I, mean, I don't. It certainly was not about hair. I think they were just quiet. <laughs> I think they were like, oh, let's just be like, sex is normal. Let's just keep it normal and sure, healthy for yeah. our daughter and not pretend that anything was weird. This is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did you, when you were in Edmonton, did your parents take you to a lot of shows at the Fringe? Or? Um, we did a little bit of fringing. Um, we went to the Citadel. <clears throat> mm-hmm. My parents, um, yeah, it's it's funny because growing up 
what's in your life you think is normal, right? Mm -hmm. So going to movies and going to theater, mm -hmm. I thought was just something that everybody did. Yeah. But it was really something my parents were mm. really into. And I didn't find out until I was, I don't know, maybe even in my 20s that one of the, the careers that my mom was choosing, she was an interior designer. Mm -hmm. But her other choice would have been set designer. Oh, okay. So I actually would have grown up in the theater, which right. mm, curses. But, wow. um, <laughs> but yeah, um, so... There was a lot of love. I think mom might have loved the theater more and dad loved film more. That, I mean, that gives you variety. Yeah. It gives some variety. So that's yeah. fine. Yeah. But yeah, so, um, and they were, yeah. Anyway, back to like the, the sexual exposure. Of my <laughs> I saw Jesus of Montreal in the theater. Okay. Um, I saw uh, Adventures of Baron Muchausen mm -hmm. in the theater. I mean, I'm not saying, I don't know how old I was exactly, yeah, but yeah. like young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think the the exposure to, to things that are kind of outside of what normal society would consider proper. Um, mm -hmm. was, Especially for a child. Yeah. But that was just <clears throat> something that... It was, it was, it wasn't weird mm. in my world. And that's one of the things I'm actually yeah. most grateful for. Mm. Yeah. Um, when did you know that you wanted to go into, uh, acting? Theater, acting. Um, again, it's like one of those things that sort of grew in me. I, I remember, I think the first movie I remember seeing was E.T. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I remember sitting on the stairs after I got home and being in shock, like mm. what just happened. Mm -hmm. And then we saw Annie and I became obsessed mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. Annie. Maybe that's why I was a redhead for 10 years. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I sang all the time mm -hmm. and um, romanticized. And I, every, every movie that I connected with splash, I fell in love with splash and mm -hmm. wanted to be a mermaid. And I think, I think I got so deeply connected to the characters that it didn't even occur to me that this was a career that could be had. Okay. So I think when I wanted to act was around the time that it slowly started to occur to me that these were people pretending. It's not yeah. that I didn't know that, but it just, I think I believed it so much. Mm. There was this disconnect between it being something that was actually possible yeah. and something that was so, <clears throat> so much in my in my fantasy world, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. that's, I'm an only child. So, mm. so fantasy was so much a part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, first remember thinking I wanted to do this more was grade five. Okay. I think prior to that, I think I was more singing. Okay. Um, and in grade five, we did Kinderellen in my school, which was a sort of a robot version of Cinderella. And I got to be Kinderellen. And I, I don't know. I just knew I wanted to do it. I knew mm. I wanted to be the lead, even mm. though I was like the shyest girl in class. Really? I just, I don't know. And when you were, when you were, when you were Kinderellen, you were no longer shy? Like, was that, was it that? that distinct do you remember i guess i just i was in the fantasy mm, land right i was okay. i was in the 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 belief of something something else yeah. i think part of acting for me has been <clears throat> I, we were talking about this yesterday about vectoring your energy yes. out as yeah, opposed yeah. to your self-consciousness yeah. and i think that that's what it, it gave me um without me realizing that that was what was happening is that i could um it's not that I was putting on a mask. It was just that I was I was taking what was inside me, and mm -hmm. it had a vehicle 
with which I could connect with people sure. that wasn't about me being awkward or me being judged for me because mm -hmm. it was something that was laid out. The script was there. Yeah. And so I was just saying what was on the page. Yeah. And it's not me. No. But I could connect with you mm. from myself through that. Mm. And that's what that's what really drew me to acting. Yeah. At what point? I mean, because there's a lot of people who do who do plays when they're younger. They do plays in high school. Mm -hmm. at, at what point did you know that it was a thing that you wanted to to do? Like professionally. Like professionally. I think uh, grade twelve was when you know it's the time when you have to decide what you're going to do next. Yep. And um, and I think I had I had been doing plays in school and such and and really feeling that that was my home mm -hmm. and and i had this idea that being an actor was probably the hardest thing i could choose to do and also being me i tend to choose things that are the hardest possible <laughs> thing i'd also been a i had studied opera for quite a while okay. and the, the natural choice would have probably been to like go audition for juilliard for the opera school sure. and like have a career but no i wanted to do the more difficult thing and be an actor <laughs> and i remember it's really weird i was angry i was i was angry all grade 12 because i knew i was choosing something that was going to be difficult really yeah it made me angry mm. Yeah. But you did it anyway. But I did it anyway. Okay. And um and I got I got through the anger, but I think I just needed to be like, mm. oh, why is this the thing? Mm. You know? But it was. But it was. Did uh, cuz I you know, I've, I it's, it happened to me and it ha it's happened to a few people that they sit down with a guidance counselor at high school <laughs> and the guidance counselor is like, "All right, so we have to choose a university for you. What is mm. it that you want to do?" And they say, I want to be an actor. And the guidance counselor gets very quiet and thin-lipped and is like, I don't know what to do with that. May I advise? May I advise not. <laughs> but a lot of times it's because I don't know how to advise you. I'm ready to talk about yeah. this university, that university, mm -hmm. the gets, getting your BA in English, getting this, doing this. But this acting thing, I'm not ready for. Did anybody ever talk, try to talk you out of it? No. Um, no, nobody tried to talk me out of it. Although, uh, I got a very strong sense that it wasn't what my parents would have chosen. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> they didn't say that, mm -hmm. but even up to, and I feel kind of bad saying this, but, um, mm. even up till about age 35, okay. Anytime I turned to my mom and I said, "Mom, I'm this is hard." Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I maybe I'm not an actor. Like maybe this isn't yeah. what I meant to do. And immediately my mom would go, "Okay, great. Uh, if you want to go back to university, we'll pay for it. Mm. Don't worry about that." And yeah. I'd be like, "But you're but you're supposed to tell me yeah. that, that this is that I'm good at this and I should do it." Did you did you have a sense of that there was something that they wanted you to do that they thought you should do, mm. or they just thought that this would be too hard? I think. Yeah, I think mm. I think it was abstract mm. um, in a way. And that's sort of back to the guidance counselor mm. thing. There are two sort of ways of thinking about a career path. One is that very, it's almost like continuing the matriculation, mm -hmm. right? Right into your life until you retire and yeah. then we, right? You're, but, um, but the other one is this sort of amorphous cloud of possibility. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and my thinking 
as an actor, I wanted to be Meryl Streep. I wanted to go to Yale. Sure, yeah, I yeah. wanted to do that. And I thought, if I do that, then I'll come out. And obviously, I'm going to have the career I want. But, mm-hmm. You know, um, life happens differently than, of course. than yeah. the ways that we, we imagine it. And so, um, my mom said to me one time uh, that she thought that I would either be a writer or a scientist. Mm. And it's funny, actually, in this moment is the first time it's occurred to me that in a way, I am both those things. Mm. Because I'm I'm writing. Yeah. Um, I've been focusing on writing actually more than acting in the last few years of yeah. my life. And uh, I've recently realized that a lot of the way I think and mm. exist in the world is it's not scientists exactly it's more of a philosopher i'm i'm kind of like an anthropologist philosopher of the zeitgeist right it seems to be what occupies my mind hmm. most of the time hmm. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> and the roles i'm playing and whatever yeah. i'm doing in the moment but yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah but i i like to connect dots and that mm. is kind of what scientists do but they do it in sort of like a systematic uh, yeah. way yeah so what brought you from um, Alberta <laughs> to Toronto? I'm really good at the, like, segues. Um, my teacher. When okay. I was in grade 12, I uh, I took private classes with a, a movement expert mm-hmm. um, on the side. And uh, I think a lot of sort of the deep understanding of my body mm-hmm. in the work came from that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we did some incredible work. And at one point she, you know, she believed in me. Um, I think a lot of that anger actually got exercised mm. through working with her. Okay. Um, and so I went to Edmonton, spent a year at the U of A because I was going to audition for the U of A program. I did. I got on the wait list, but didn't get in, but I did get into Grant McEwen. Mm-hmm. So. And then after first year in Grant McHugh and I auditioned for the U of A again, got in, but I decided I didn't want to do that much more theater school. So <laughs> I finished my last year, my second year of Grant McEwen, and then spent a year working, doing plays, mm-hmm. you know, making money, being an adultish, and then um, thinking about where I wanted to go. And in my mind, I wanted to go to New York. Okay. Um, but I was also thinking, you know, Toronto is kind of a step towards New York. Mm -hmm. And right before I started theater school, this teacher, her name was Audrey Jolly, um, she invited me to come to take this workshop in Toronto Mm -hmm. with a New York teacher. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was two days, I think it might've been three, but by the end of it, I felt like an actor. Mm -hmm. So it's weird. I went to theater school feeling like a professional actor and then wasn't treated like one in theater school, which was very odd for Mm me. But, um, so, so I guess I'd been sort of initiated into Toronto mm-hmm. on that weekend. So in my mind, Toronto was kind of a step towards New York. Sure. Potentially. Yeah. So I had spent my, my year after graduating and then Audrey called me up and said, I've just moved into a house with a, with an artist. We have an, a spare room. Um, I think it's time that you come to Toronto, mm-hmm. Karen. You have one day to decide and three months to get here. Two months to get here. One month. Nope. Two days to decide, one month to get here. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> yes. And so I called everybody up and said, I'm going to be gone in a month. And that's, that's how, that's what got me to Toronto. Wow. And I got here with like knowing one person. Who did you know? Audrey. Audrey? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I had a friend from theater school who was here. 
Um, I think. I think did you know Richard Bone yet? Yes, but he moved here just a little bit after I did. Because so, he was originally from here, so it was yeah. like, um, <clears throat> I think, uh, I know that he was living out there, but like, yeah. he'd gone to theater school here. And so so yeah. he moved here just a little after I did, mm -hmm. so when I moved here, I didn't know he was moving here. Oh, okay, okay. So, so I could say yes, but like, when I came here, he that wasn't, wasn't here. something I was yeah. aware of. No. I really just kind of showed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, and so it was sort of trial by fire, and mm -hmm. I asked around what, who's the best teacher, and I audited this class for a long time, then studied it was Rotenberg. Mm -hmm. Everybody was like, oh, anybody who's anybody studies with Rotenberg. Mm -hmm. So I audited his class for like four months, and then took his class for like another eight months, and um, yeah, and thus began my time here. Yeah. Oh, and I did this great show in don't, rap with these fabulous <clears throat> fellow actors. Don't go smoke on my butt. Um, so yes, you're referring to uh, the uh, the uh, the month we did a month of Edmund Irons Shakespeare's Lost Play, Edmund Ironside, and a Midsummer, Midsummer. Night's Dream, and uh, the um, that I mean that was a that was a, a, a massive uh, moment for for me. Seeing, mm -hmm. seeing that come to fruition and I like there's people that I met that are still good friends of mine like yep. you, like yourself yeah um, that was one of those <clears throat> kismetic things I think that yeah. we all just really got along yeah and and in a sincere, honest, respectful way. Yeah. In in a sense that I think we're also all all in places in our lives where we supported each other. Yeah. That led usually shows end, and you're like, yeah, we'll be friends forever, and then you're and not. And then you're not. No. But absolutely. this one show. Yeah. Is sort of the exception mm -hmm. for that. We did. We. Did, I mean, there were certain trial by fire moments in that rehearsal process. Um, we had some moments. Um, I I remember the. Like a a stumble through that turned out to be like a like team versus team uh, where the assistant director was keeping score. And stuff oh, like that oh, was a oh! Very frustrating. That I, I forgot about that part. <clears throat> of I'm it. sorry to bring that. That's back. okay. No, 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 no. It's fine. <clears throat> it was a. It was a <laughs> a uh, I mean, overall, it was a great experience, and yeah. you know, everybody's everybody's. Uh, you know, I still. There, there, there are shows where like you, you see people afterwards, mm -hmm. and or you see them, uh, they pop up here and there, and you're like, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but other people where you see them, because everybody who who pops up from from that show, mm -hmm. um, I'm always super happy and like really season, yeah. interested in what they're doing yeah, yeah, yeah. because it felt like everybody was in this place of potential yeah, at yeah, the yeah. time too. Yeah, 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 definitely. So what? <laughs> From there, the next thing that I mean, you did a whole lot of stuff after that. But the 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 one thing that I, I I'm curious about is how how Peeler came to be because right. that was a, a big show for you at the Toronto Fringe in twenty mm. is two thousand nine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that was it. Kind of came from multiple directions. Uh, for a while, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that whole discussion about how we have to create our own work had been happening. Mm -hmm. I think it was. Like now it's kind of a given, yeah. but back then it was kind of this idea that people were starting to talk about. Yeah. And I sort of picked up the flag and started waving it. But mm. after doing that for a couple of years, I was like, you know, but I'm not actually, I'm not actually doing it. Mm -hmm. So there was that, there was the wanting to put my money where my mouth was. Um, I was, you know, 
just around, I was around 30, like mm-hmm. just past 30. So I was in that sort of <clears throat> slight pl- panic state mm-hmm. of mind. <laughs> As often happens when, when you, yeah. And um, I had been a little bit disillusioned about the film industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd actually stepped away and started mm-hmm. doing Shakespeare again mm-hmm. with another company um, to just sort of get deeper into the craft. I have a relationship really, with the word you craft. You really hate that phrase, don't you? I can tell by the um, way you say it. You know, uh, I understand its use, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. I mean, we could get in, once again, mm-hmm. philosophy. We yeah. could get into the, the, the art versus craft mm-hmm. sort of conversation, and I understand where the craft thing comes from, but in a way, I think this is going to... I'm going on the record. I think it comes to a small extent from a place of fear uh-huh. because if you call acting art then you have no control You're right and uh, and that's terrifying mm-hmm. and we're back in the i'm angry at grade 12 because i don't know who i am and what i'm doing with myself place, right right but um but that's what's exciting about it and that's mm-hmm. what gives you that's what gives you the edge that that people respond to i think if mm-hmm. you're too much into the craft and you don't bring that Anyway, whatever, yeah. art into mm-hmm. it. Because um, what is art? Art is a representation of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, Picasso said art is a lie that tells us the truth, mm-hmm. I think. And so yeah, that's acting is that too. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I would yeah. say by Picasso, who, you know, <laughs> we could get into another discussion about the merit of awful men and yes. art but um <laughs> yeah but by his definition um uh acting is definitely mm-hmm, art mm-hmm. so but anyway okay so there was that there was the wanting to put my myself out there in the way that i'd been advocating for a while um i had a teacher who was also pushing me to do it i'd been pole dancing for a mm-hmm. while and so i had this skill and a lot of people that i knew didn't know that i had trained in opera for mm-hmm. nine years yeah so uh, I stopped. I stopped singing when it was time to be a professional, because mm-hmm. there wasn't. I, I'd gone as far as I could, and um, yeah. So, um, so I had these skills that were really unusual. Mm-hmm. Pole dancing was really unusual at the time, and my my teacher Jacqueline McClintock. When I say my teacher, uh, I mean her. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh she was like write pole opera <laughs> to which i would say um i can barely breathe when i'm pole dancing let alone sing but um let's see what i can do so that was another part was was this enthusiasm from my teacher mm-hmm. for me to put something unique of myself out there yeah. and um and then there's the other part is that i had had a friend who had died from breast cancer right and I wanted to honor mm-hmm. her. So those things came together. The, mm-hmm. the pole dancing and singing are things that I turned into this. Um, and okay, back up. Every time I write, mm-hmm. I'm answering a question okay. for myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so the question, what I basically I entered into the fringe, having no idea, like, I'm going to write something if, yeah. I, if I get in. And then I got in and I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I have to do it. So I was like, okay. So the question was, and this came to me once again. My my grandfather died the morning after my grandfather died. 
I had this, I'd been ruminating about, you know, pole dancing, so I'm going to write about uh, an exotic dancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next morning after he died, I was like, she has breast cancer. Okay. And that was also connected to my friend who had died and all this stuff kind of came together Mm -hmm. into this exploration of one's identity uh, as a female in a world where our bodies are used for commodification mm-hmm. as opposed to um, the olden days, the, the ancient days when, <clears throat> when we had the, the powerful goddesses mm-hmm. um, that, that represented fertility and love and war mm-hmm. and, and, and basically the survival of humanity was uh, contained in these goddesses and mm-hmm. valued and worshipped, yeah. and and all of that has sort of been lost mm-hmm. through the progression of our society to the point where the things that were once held high mm-hmm. are now put on billboards. Yes, yeah, and we're selling cars and watches and beer, <laughs> and you know, so yeah. so if you are somebody who connects to yourself as a, as a sensuous powerful feminine being mm-hmm. and you choose a job because she's a, a an exotic dancer and you choose a job where where you get to sort of share the goddess mm-hmm. with with men who might feel a little displaced in their mm-hmm. world and it becomes like a healing expression mm-hmm. um, and a, a true intimacy mm-hmm. of people of strangers like in the purest sense, you're just meeting without any expectation of, you know, you're on your best behavior because, because you want to be not because you have to be for society's sake and you're going to meet again one day. Um, and so that was all very fascinating to me. And, uh, and then the idea that she's at the apex of this because she's losing her breasts. Right. Um, I'm scared to talk. Like that's the big reveal at the end of the play. Oh, so. Of course, yes. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> but I mean, but I mean, yeah. that that play did happen in, in 2009, yes. so pe- people have seen it. So but it is it's, it's going yes. to be a movie. I know. But um, yeah, so so because she's facing the loss of all this, and she is so wrapped her identity around this this mm-hmm. one part of herself, um, she's feeling rather lost. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that was the question that I was answering okay. through this whole. Thing and um, and people responded to it and the, one of the the two things that I loved the most that mm-hmm. came out of that play well from people were um, exotic dancers coming up to me and saying you honored us mm-hmm. and men coming up to me and saying I feel so connected to this story mm-hmm. because. As I'm writing the movie, I feel pressure with this whole Me Too thing mm-hmm, and all this mm-hmm. stuff to make it about raw, raw woman. But in a way, mm. it is actually the en- anti-raw, raw woman. <clears throat> it's raw, raw humanity and connection right. and where we meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thesis is that one of the reasons why we've been lacking that connection is because femininity hasn't had its place. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that men are bad. It means right. that we, ha- I think there have been, there were some very bad men way back a long time ago who decided that in order to have power, mm-hmm. they had to put women down yeah. and we're all just kind of living as a result of that. Right. I don't, I don't necessarily think that 
<laughs> you know, it's not your fault mm. <laughs> that that happened. <laughs> you know, you're just in the world. Yes, yes. And, yeah. you know, so, yeah. But the show at, at, at Fringe was, I mean, it was a pretty big hit. I mean, from what I could tell. Thank you. People really responded to it. And it, it, it's, it looked like it did pretty well. Uh. I it did well in the sense that the response I got was mm. overwhelming. Yeah. Um I didn't fill the seats because I'm a terrible producer. It's not my <laughs> skill. It's just not my skill. But at the same token, I guess uh the the gauge of success came in when years later I would see people and say, I heard about that show. I wish I saw it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And people yeah. who saw it say, I still think about your show. Yeah. And um and I was approached by four different producers. Mm. And it, you do it's, it's fringe. You do it yeah. seven times. Yes. I was produ- yeah. I was approached by four producers saying, I want to make this movie. This mm. this means something to mm. me. And so um yeah, I guess that's a bigger gauge of success in yeah, a way absolutely. than just selling out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> my my uh, producer's success is gauged by not filling the seats, but my show's success is, you know, evident um, in the love. The I guess the the when you when you take on a show that you're going to, of of your own work when you take on your own work and mm-hmm. you want to produce that, um, one of the difficult things to do is to figure out the producing thing. Yeah, and we're generally, I think, a lot of actors are not great at talking about their own work or or, or promoting themselves. <laughs> Clearly, there's a few people. There's a few people who are super good at it. Yeah, but that's not. I don't think that's the natural thing. Everybody that I like, whenever I encounter people, we're like, "So tell me about what you're what you're working on. Like, tell me about this show that you're writing." They're mm-hmm. immediately their eyes go to the ground and they start to shift back and forth, and they hate talking about it. It's like, wow. We really have a problem doing this. So, <laughs> Especially Canadians, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But I mean, to, to, to then have to take a show and, and suddenly become a producer mm-hmm. and, and, and try to talk about it is, is yeah. a difficult thing. I feel like, like this, I can talk about it one on one. I can look into somebody's eyes and say, mm-hmm. this is what it meant to me. Yeah. And then infuse that person with my passion. Mm-hmm. But, but producing is, is a little bit more about creating a like the buzz yes and yeah. that that is not my it it's a difficult thing to do. It's, <laughs> that's that's you know it is it is hard yeah and there are people who are really good at it yeah and the people who are really good at it they get hired by other people to do that because they're really good at it mm-hmm. and the rest of us struggle or they have big careers yes they do they can also do that <laughs> and sometimes both yeah um but um, you you mentioned taking uh, not really doing much acting for the last little while because you've been concentrating on writing. Yeah. Um, so what brought you back to acting for Risk Everything? Okay. Um, I think it's it's all it's partly the waves mm-hmm. of of what you what you need what your soul needs mm-hmm. and um last summer i was invited to do a play and i and i i had started um i, I think i'd already paid for a place like i went off to do a writing retreat a self-imposed thing and so um so i said no to the play and there was part of me that always felt like ugh, like i'm an actor first and foremost and what am I doing? And I, I mm-hmm. did kind of promise myself the next thing I was offered, I'd say yes to, which uh-huh. of course I would have turned around and said no if I wasn't interested in the show. Right. So 
I like taking on things that challenge me mm-hmm. and um, and risk everything um, is not the type of character that has been normal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> I I'm a lot more natural at playing like a queen mm-hmm. or somebody who's more elevated and um, and in this character is. Uh, she comes from a very challenging upbringing, um, and there are ways in which I connect to her relationship to the world that I think it's timely for me to explore. Mm-hmm. And I think, like talking about, you know, the the women coming up to me after Peeler and saying you honored us. I think that that people, and I think this is part of george f walker's mandate is Mm -hmm. to honor people who are a little bit unseen Mm -hmm. and uh and i i'm excited to to sort of take that on and and hopefully and hopefully do it justice yeah Yeah. and so it's exciting when i think about when i think of work especially more recent work of george f walker Mm -hmm. um i think about (laughs) Um, for want of a better word, I think of, 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 of him writing about degenerates and people who are, um, yeah. outsiders and yeah. things like that, or people who are in, in desperate circumstances rather than, um, people who have a, you middle know, class middle class lo- yacht yes, definitely <laughs> dwelling. I, that, that actually, that's actually probably a better way to put it. I don't picture him writing about, about mm-hmm. people who are in the middle class. I think I think they're sort of love stories to to the degenerates. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to use that word, sure, like, let's use that let's word. Let's use the degenerate sure. word. <laughs> I'm sure all the degenerates would really appreciate it. <laughs> you know what? If they if they identify as degenerates, I'm sure they're happy with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, I think the humor um, keeps it from being this heavy. Because mm-hmm. if you're from somebody, if you're somebody from outside that world, uh, you can look at it and feel the sympath- sympathy, yes, and the pity, mm-hmm. and the um, and maybe get romantic about uh, how gritty and and hard it is. Mm-hmm. But his plays. They, they carry that, but with this crazy wackiness of life yeah. and how, uh, how we can rise above w- where we are in life through, um, I don't know, uh, being true to, to ourselves in whatever way that means. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a, that's a I do very think vague that it's like, just, but I, I do think that that the idea of of tackling serious things and including humor is is so important because I think it's difficult for people to watch something that is gravely serious mm-hmm. for an hour and a half, two hours, or whatever the mm-hmm. length of a thing of a thing is. Without some kind of break, and in fact, I think people, if they, people will often shut down. Yeah, I, it's funny because when you're saying that, I think of the '90s when there were mm. all these kind of art films about slightly downtrodden, yeah. you know, like Mike Lee's yes. improvised yeah. films that that were wonderful. But like, would I want to watch naked tonight? Like, yeah. sit down with a maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And and so I think. Maybe it's partly 
making it more accessible yeah. to in a certain extent too, so that the people can 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 laugh without feeling like they're looking down upon these people. Yeah. Which is maybe that's why it's the love song that I think so, you know, yeah. 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 And um, what what how did you get involved with this show? So I'm in a group of actors okay, okay. <laughs> who meet up on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of us do cold reading. You can also bring in scenes and such. But we mm-hmm. all kind of uh, support each other, um, try things out, mm-hmm. and get to see each other's work. Everybody's at a different level. There are like mm-hmm. super professionals. There are people who are starting out. Um, but the the atmosphere of support is is really there. And, and you get to sort of love each other and each other's work and um alan michael brunet the director mm-hmm. um he i think it was joanne latimer who mm-hmm. they're they're co-producing um she had loved risk everything for a long time mm-hmm. she's directed george f walker in the past and, and in this case i think she was just really drawn to this play yeah so she talked to him they're both monday nighters and then um, they started discussing the cast, and I think it's very natural to to dip into the pool of these people that you've been. Of course, it is sharing your time with yes, on Monday night. Of so, course. so they asked me, and then uh, we have one other Monday nighter in the group who is Paul De La Rosa, and mm-hmm. then for the the fourth character, um, we did auditions. Okay. So, yeah, nice four Monday nighters and an outsider. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh i don't know where i'm going anyway um, <laughs> oh you're asking how it how i like all that started it sounds like you're trying to like understand the sort of roots of this play well i mean uh, you're not the person that, that initiated this this project so yeah. it's hard to say so why this project mm-hmm. do you have thoughts on why on why risk everything um hmm I wish I hadn't. I mean, I could read you a little blurb that they wrote about um, what <laughs> inspires them. I think a lot of the things that I was saying before mm-hmm. about these people who are who are in these like downtrodden mm-hmm. positions in their lives and, and who are incredibly unhealthy for each other, but there's so much heart that comes yeah. through it. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. There's so much conversation out there about narcissism and, um, you know addictive personalities and various mental disorders and such maybe maybe it's sort of stemming somewhat from from people feeling that that mess in themselves Mm -hmm. and and finding a play that kind of makes it safe to to um explore it i don't know that's my guess i'm gonna stick with it Uh, tell me about the character that you're playing because you you mentioned how she's sort of outside of what you would normally normally play. play yeah so um well, I'm still, we're in rehearsal, so I'm still in the process of discovering mm-hmm. her. Um, her, so she was raised by a mom who's a gambling addict and mm-hmm. alcoholic as well. Um, and they moved around a lot. And, uh, so she has like absolutely no stability and she had very little to attach herself to except for this incredibly toxic mother okay so at a certain point she gets out of there and she actually went into she became an exotic dancer and then met her now husband who um ended up in jail for a while Mm -hmm. then they had a baby and the baby was taken from them by social services so this this is another play in the suburban hotel series 
<clears throat> called Problem Child, where after their baby is taken, um, Denise goes to enormous measures, almost basically of killing the social worker, like she buries her alive, um, to try and get her child back. Right. And so this is, uh, I think a couple of, this is a while later, yeah. like at least a year later. Still haven't gotten their child back. Um, and, but trust, but they're trying to, so it's RJ and Denise are trying to, um, become normal, good citizens, right? Mm-hmm. So, but the mom is still the mom and she's, she's gotten herself in trouble. And the, so the theory behind it is whether she's gotten herself in trouble to try and lure her daughter back into mm-hmm. her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so the character is different for me because, um, I think it's the angriest hmm. character I've ever played. Okay. And that might just be where I'm at in the rehearsal process. Hmm. And I am trying to honor that thing about like the, the comedy and the, the lightness that, sure. that can come through having a challenging life. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. And it's in the nineties when everybody was angry. So <laughs> <laughs> natural to just be sure. mad yeah, yeah, yeah. um but but i think it's it's the um i came from a pretty sheltered childhood mm-hmm. i did you know and so um trying to enter or entering into um the 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 realm and the headspace of um of someone who uh, didn't, I don't think like didn't really feel safe. Yeah. Ever. Mm. Um, is, is really interesting for yeah. me. Um, and it is different. I think, um, I've played people who are manipulative mm-hmm. and people who are in difficult situations, but, um, but not so much somebody who, um, who has been through that much. Right. Um, lack in so many places hmm. i guess hmm. i don't know yeah it's uh, maybe i'll have to get back to you on that <laughs> it just it feels like i don't know maybe as i'm working on it as well i'm realizing you know obviously i'm getting closer and closer and closer to, yeah. to denise and so i feel less and less and less like it's different yeah. for me hmm. Hmm. did it seem really foreign when you started started uh, rehearsing did it seem a, a bit because I think I was insecure about the the, the upbringing part, sure, right? Yeah. That oh, can I can I make this work? Can I take this on? Do I deserve mm-hmm. to take this on yeah. with, with having such a, you know, like I my father was an executive for Syncru, yes, right? Yes, like yeah. um, we went to Paris and the the Christmas summer holidays and <laughs> such like that. Like not to say that I didn't have things in my childhood because I really really did, but um, but different things. Yeah, and um. And so, yeah, I, I think I was intimidated and would I, would I be able to, uh, to understand it enough to make, mm-hmm. to make it, to honor it the way right, I want right. to, to make yeah. it real. Um, so I don't know. You'll, you'll have to tell me when you come see it. I will let you know. <laughs> and it's, uh, uh, running from May 14th to 25th at the Red Sandcastle Theater. It is. Which is always a really, I mean, you've, have you performed at the Red Sandcastle before? No. No. Nope, nope, I haven't. I've seen lots of things there. I, I've auditioned yeah. uh, for something just because the space was rented out. But no, I've never actually performed there. I always, like, I always, for me, the first time I performed there was always a shock how how intimate 
it is mm. how how close the audience is it becomes like a, suddenly you're like oh hello but that's my favorite i know it's great but a lot of people <laughs> can be taken like it can throw them off at first actors or audience uh, actors okay not me sometimes audiences are also like whoa i'm really close mm-hmm. like they'll sit in the front row and then when the actors come out suddenly they start being like am i should i be here <laughs> um but see i really love that into it. yeah actually yeah, yeah, yeah. one of my favorite things is making audiences uncomfortable <laughs> i absolutely love making audiences uncomfortable and um and one of my favorite things about acting is intimacy mm-hmm. and so my favorite acting is actually in theater in a very small space right where uh, I don't have to project because I feel for me, just me, as soon as I project, mm-hmm. I'm no longer being real. Mm-hmm. Like I'm being honest, yes, yeah. but I'm not being real. Sure. And I like to feel like I'm just doing it and talking to a person. Sure. As opposed to letting everybody in the room see me mm. talking to the person, right. you know, through an honest Yes. Filter, but whatever. (laughs) Non-filter. So that's one of the reasons why I love film is because Mm. you can just talk to the person. Yes. But in theater, um, you get that immediacy. So it's almost, intimate theater is almost the best of both worlds in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, I do. Kieran, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Phil. This has been a Homebody Productions production.